When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. For Argentina, the dream of number three is alive. The glow of the golden trophy becomes clearer through the mist. The figurehead Messi... The future Alvarez have helped Argentina into the World Cup final in a couple of days from now. So put your hands up, baby, walk me, baby, walk I see me. it in your eyes, something you've This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith here with Ricardo sitting in for Smithy. Thanks to Brand, your local John Deere dealership. Uh, joining me uh, live here at Flair Bar at Sky City is former All Whites goalkeeper Jacob Spooner. We've just witnessed the first semi final of the World Cup Argentina 3, Croatia 0. I think went against expectation, didn't it? I mean, I think a lot of people were thinking this is a, <laughs> this is a game destined for, for extra time, maybe even penalties. Yeah, no, I think that was a fair expectation for the match. I think it was one of several uh, possibilities. What we did see, though, on the field is Leo Messi rolling back the years, really dominating play, perhaps not comprehensively, but picking his moments. And he was so pivotal in making sure Argentina got to their fifth World Cup final? Six. Six. Oh, six. So I just did a recount. Just six. did a recount. So five form up. They're now heading to their sixth on Sunday. And I think the game went brilliantly for Argentina. I don't think it could have gone any better. They got an early goal. Uh, they got two before the break. And they really did not only play to their strengths, but they also exploited Croatia's weaknesses. Yeah, and how good was Leo Messi? This was uh, peak Messi. This is what you want to see at a World Cup. He is now, I believe, I forgot my stats right, five goals, four assists at this World Cup. <laughs> That's dominant. <laughs> it's not bad. And I think that the interesting thing is you look back on their tournament so far, it hasn't been a wonderful tournament. You can't say that they've been the best team at the World Cup, but they have very cannily manoeuvred their way through the tournament. And now they're only 90 minutes away from having Leo Messi raise the trophy and presumably head off into the sunset as a World Cup winner, having probably announced his international retirement with that win, if it does go ahead. Yeah, and if it does go ahead, uh, that, that's another question we'll talk about. We'll talk about the GOAT conversation if he wins a World <laughs> Cup. We'll do that shortly. But... Um, 
you, there are some parallels here because I remember the 86 World Cup. It was an ordinary Argentinian team with a spectacular Maradona and probably Claudio Canigia uh, banging in the goals was, was his lieutenant. And it feels similar. You know, it's a pretty ordinary workmanlike Argentinian team with he and Alvarez. It is. And I think if we just pause there for the moment and reflect on the game that we did see and, and then how that translates into club level. Alvarez looks an absolute bargain, mate. Mm. 14.1 million pounds. Man City have picked one off the shelf there. He was great in that he wasn't overwhelmed by the level of the game. The stage wasn't too big for him. And he really did compliment Messi. You could see he was looking for the runs. He was looking for the movement. He was trying to predict where the ball was going to go. And that was punctuated by that lovely third goal, which was all Messi's hard work. But Alvarez was right where he needed to be to put it in the back of the net. So... I think he, for me, is going to be one of those dual threats for Argentina up top. Obviously, Messi's got that free roll. I thought um, Enzo Fernandez was good today. Mm -hmm. uh, McAllister continues to impress throughout this tournament. He's probably the one that has surprised from Argentina. However, if we pivot now to the final and what they can expect, I think if they do come, come up against France, who are the likeliest of the other semi-finalists to make it through to the final, the defence is a massive concern. This is a team that is so conservative, is so um, insecure, uh, and they got found out by a Croatian team that arguably act any actual attacking threat. Yeah, that's that's fair, I think. I think that is fair. And I, I mean, Argentina um, uh, missing Acuna, I think, uh, hurt them today a little bit. Um, in terms of just that engine room, I think... Th that would have actually probably shut Croatia down even faster than, than it did. But they did. I mean, they, they put their foot on the throat of Croatia when they had the opportunity. Um, and they played they played around that midfield, right? They played around the strength. They just they hit the flanks and they took Modric and Brozovic and um, uh, Kvisovic out of it effectively by, by playing the flanks and not trying to play through the middle. Yeah, they, they did. And I think that probably was exploiting Croatia's weakness to a certain extent because Modric, wonderful talent, sits in that midfield um, and in the second half when we saw him given the chance to, we saw him given space, he did take the opportunity to get some wonderful touches in but Argentina had conceded that space at that point and in the first half in particular you could see the energy in which they really did target Modric and try and limit the um, avenue further forward and try and nullify Croatia's best play and they're able to do that because Croatia arguably didn't have anything further forward or wide or complementary to Modric. Yeah well I mean Perisic was negated a lot and he was probably their biggest attacking threat. Probably a few two years past it as well like yeah. I'm not saying um, if you put him alongside a, a, an attacking threat he wouldn't be able to compliment them but who was the threat? Who, you know, who, who was the player that's going to occupy Argentina to allow space to these players that, that can then exploit it? Yeah, well, I mean, Krummerich, the AC Milan striker, is probably their best striker, and he tends to play as a wide forward for AC Milan rather than through mm. the middle, you know. I mean, arguably, their best number nine was sent off from the bench in the 35th minute and Mandzukic, <laughs> who's been retired for four years. Yeah, and if you um, make your way down to Kiwi Tier Street, or you did before the World Cup, you would have heard all of the theories and, and, and how Croatia were going to manage their way through the tournament, which I think is exactly what they did. But the big concern that kept coming back and the ceiling that everyone thought they were going to hit was they're going to come up against the team, they're going to need to overcome uh, a goal deficit and... We don't know how they're going to do that because they don't have a striker. They don't have someone who can just crash through the wall and put that ball in the back of the net. And we saw them given a couple of opportunities today. Argentina, as we said, vulnerability at the back. Um, but 
Croatia weren't able to take advantage of it. Tell you a bloke who's not going to be going back to Kiwi Tia Street anytime soon <laughs> is uh, your old mate Ross Nicholson, who uh, changed his Facebook profile this morning to an Argentinian flag. Yep. No. <laughs> That, uh, that did not end well, and uh, there's a bit of a legacy of bitterness there. <laughs> right, right. We'll leave that there. Uh, let's start, though, by talking the first goal. Um, it was a penalty to Argentina. Mm. Um, I could be. I think I'm in the minority, judging off Twitter and conversations that I've had on Twitter during the game this morning. Yes. But it looked for me that the Croatian keeper came out to close, uh, close the space of the striker. Uh, he stopped and tried to block slash save. So he didn't have any forward momentum anymore because he was stopped. Uh, Alvarez had the shot and then careered into him, and yet the penalty gets given to Argentina. That looks to me like the striker's initiating the contact. Uh, the keeper doesn't have to get out of his way for me. It's not a pen. Uh, what, what do you want me to comment on there? Well, because I think that's yes been comprehensively no. explained. <laughs> yes or no from you. I know, uh, I know you're a, go- you're a no, goalkeeper. No, I think that's a wonderful description of what happened. And uh, on reflection and seeing other people's opinions, I can definitely understand why it was given a penalty. In the past, I've actually thought, why don't referees give that sort of contact as penalties more often? Mm. Um, however, I I think if you're going to put a gun to my head and say pick one way or the other, I'm going to agree with you. I think the goalkeeper's gone out to make the save or shut down the space. He knows he's not going to get there. So to your point, he's put on the anchors and he's spread himself. The ball's gone past him. The covering defenders have obviously got there before it's crossed the line. And he's now turned around and he's looking back at the ball. The Argentine player has created the contact. So for me... I could completely understand why that wasn't given as a penalty. I think the only thing that I'm uncertain of, and forgive me, it's just uh, immediately after the game, Mm. is that there could have been an argument that he could have got to the ball before the Croatian defenders, in which case mm, I think you can probably get further towards it being a clear-cut decision. But um, I I think my final comment on it would be it's 50-50. Surprised, not surprised that VAR didn't get involved with that one and ask the ref, hey, come and have a look. Because the ref, I mean, <laughs> no. you know, be fair to the ref, he's oh, seeing it at full God. speed, full time, right? Yeah, I mean, well, maybe if he has another look at that, he kind of sees what we've just talked about. Zooming up to 10,000 feet, mate, my opinion on VAR is that it's good. It allows us to review decisions in the match so that we get them right. It's supposed to create certainty. Mm-hmm. However, regardless of the level that VAR has been implemented at and regardless of the structures and the, the protocols that referees are supposed to follow, it has created more uncertainty. So I was quite happy uh, VAR didn't get involved. Um, and I think that one of the things I'd love to see at the back end of this World Cup is that we get definitive uh, and we get, con- we get definitive rules, we get consultation with players in particular about when VAR should intervene and on what basis they should overturn or correct decisions. Yeah, I think that's that's fair and we'll see uh, if, if FIFA listen. Because it's not going away, Ricardo. It's not going away, it's here to stay. Yep. It's here to stay now because... Let's make know. it better, refine it. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, the, and a lot of the reason it's here and here to stay is, is tied into money too. So I mean, like, you know, it, they can now put sponsorships around it, right? So exactly. they can they can have gaps in the game, and you know, arguably for TV, that's what they want. Um, so so that's not going away. Uh, that said, we've both said we don't think the first goal was a penalty, but on the balance of things, C- Croatia did not deserve to win this game. They just didn't no. do enough. No, exactly. Um, and I think that was there, there was a. There's a couple of elements in this. So looking at the Croatian um, performance, I think the wonderful individual talent that Argentina had mm. meant that they could create chaos. 
and that chaos needed to be managed through what we were hoping to see in a stout Croatian defence, which is what we've seen up until this stage of the tournament. Against Brazil, they were wonderful. They really did nullify um, arguably more attacking threats in the Brazil game than they did here today. However, it was a poor performance from this Croatian backline. Like, no two ways about it. I thought Guardiol and Lovren were all over the shop at times. If you look at that second goal, the back line is... It's stretched, there's two tears to it, and that's just set at complete polar opposites to what we've seen from this centre-back pairing up until this stage of the tournament. So that was the accompanying factor in the wonderful individual performances that we did see from Messi and Alvarez, is that they were arguably maximised, or they were given more space than they should have because of the poor Croatian defensive performance. And now, um, we mentioned them at the top, but I don't think it bears, it bears mentioning again, Messi, five goals for it's this, this World Cup, the creation of that third goal. Yeah. There's no argument about the third one, was there? No, no, and this, and this was the moment that we did that we did see Messi literally step up and take control of the game. I think he was one on one up against Guardiol down the left hand yep. side, was it? And thirty-four, thirty-four. I've got that right. Great, thank you, Ricardo. Not in, nodding away. And. He just said, I'm going to have a go. And he, he stretched Guardiola down the right-hand side. And in doing so, and in getting beyond, he nullified, or, um, he isolated Guardiola uh, and then put him on skates. So Guardiola could not make a challenge. He was one-on-one -on -one up against arguably the greatest player left in the tournament. Um, Mbappe, I think, probably comes close, and we'll hopefully see him put his case forward in the next semi-final. But in that situation, there was... There was scrambling. There was desperation. They were already two goals down. Guardiola had been isolated. The Croatians couldn't get back and defend. Uh, Messi took absolute advantage of it. And as he's done so far throughout his career, he found the free man. He put the ball into the dangerous space. So he did the really basic thing after doing the really complicated. And that put Alvarez on a platter, and he knocked it in beautifully from there. So that was all Messi for me. That was all Messi, yeah. Messi, uh, three, Croatian nil. That is the final score in the semi-final. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Thanks to Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We are live from Flair Bar in Sky City, and we'll be back after this. Spread, and so we've got um, a bit more of a global World Cup. Uh, and then we saw the likes of the Asian team starting to punch above their weight and get into the knockout stages. But we've never seen an African team get this far. And it's wonderful to see that we're now adding another um, tool to the kit uh, in what we can hope for at future World Cups. And hopefully it speaks to more and more African teams that can get this far in the tournament because they are wonderful to watch. They are they're fantastic to watch. Uh, midfield, very, very strong. Even their back line. I know they've lost um, Sice to, to that injury. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the last game, they, they had, I think, three of their four starting back line were off the field. And they still held out against Portugal and did it reasonably comfortably, it's got to be said. That was the surprising thing about it. The I think the goal that they got was poor and Portugal will look back on that and say they could have defended it a lot better. But once they had that lead, they did nullify Portugal pretty comprehensively. And the one of the players of the tournament for me, you can look at Liv, Livakovic, um, the goalkeeper for Croatia. Um, I think you can look at Luka Modric, who's been wonderful as well. Mbappe is an absolute weapon. But in terms of not only performances across the tournament, but also surprises, Amrabat. Yeah. I, I liken him to a linebacker in the NFL because 
he does such a wonderful job of not necessarily screening the back two, the centre back pairing, but he does the whole back four. He goes side to side, he cleans up, he intimidates, he dominates, he turns over the ball, and he's got enough quality and enough nous to know that he just needs to get it into his dangerous players and just move the ball outside of that pressure. Mm. He's done everything that you would ask and more from a defensive midfielder. It's going to be interesting. I'm really looking forward to the clash between um, Hakimi and Mbappe. Yeah. I mean, two teammates at PSG, yeah. they know each other inside out. And arguably Mbappe got the better of Kyle Walker uh, yep. for France against England. I think the moment of the World Cup so far is when Mbappe squared up Kyle Walker, his side of halfway, and said, I'm going to roast you on the outside. And I think the world held its breath for a moment. Mm. And we saw this beautiful race that, that eventuated before our eyes, and Mbappe gassed him. So Hakimi has the inside knowledge. It's going to be great to see it. I think that's probably one of the battles that will decide the game uh, tomorrow. But killing Mbappe, if he overcomes Hakimi and France get yep. over Morocco, then we could see a quite literal match that could decide the legacy of Messi, but also the potential passing of the torch between two generations. Now, you mentioned earlier that the Argentinian defence weren't great. I don't think the French defence is particularly good. They tend to be... Uh, there tend to be gaps behind the fullbacks a lot, particularly Teo Hernandez's side because he likes to get forward. Ne and neither him and Dembele like to track. Um, <laughs> neither does Mbappe, for that matter. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, um, I once described um, Teo Hernandez as the as the French Trent Alexander-Arnold. Great going forward, not not so great defending. Um, Put that, alongside Varane, Varane and you know, you know defensively uh, weak. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So there's a hole there, and I mean Hakim Ziyech, uh, you know, he's, he hasn't really fired at Chelsea, but very good at Ajax when he was there. I mean, there will be plenty of teams that will want him, even if Chelsea still don't want him. Uh, but he could be a real difference maker here because those are the kind of holes he likes to exploit. I think the French team, they have developed this brand and this reputation and I think they have relied on that at times throughout this tournament so you're right they do a lot with the ball they like going forward um, and I think what they do is they kind of bluff or get the opposition to gamble and say well look if you want to commit players forward and if we are almost cheating and leaving the number of players up front and you aren't covering them then we're going to exploit that mm. so we will back our defenders almost to go one-on-one -on -one, turn the ball over and then will attack you in your stretch. And I think there's a weakness in that, um, but there's also a strength. But you're right, with a player like Ziyech, he is smart enough and he's also got the physical ability to really exploit. I think even Teo Hernandez one-on-one, because he hasn't been a great defender. He's jumped in so often. And you, if you do that against Ziyech, you could be on a yellow card very quickly. You could give away a free kick. Or potentially, you could just make the mistake that Ziyech pounces upon to then exploit, create an assist or a goal. Yeah, and you, you've already mentioned uh, Amrabat, who's been so solid in midfield. Is it as simple as boiling this game down tomorrow? So it's it's him versus Griezmann. I mean, Griezmann plays in that hole. They occupy the same space in the field. Mate, I think this is the issue with the French team, and this is why I think they're the best team at the World Cup. Not only are they defending champions, but if you look at the generation that they've got at the moment, parking the players they don't have at this tournament, which even speaks to the point I'm about to make, which is the wonderful depth that they do have. If you try and isolate, nullify Griezmann, what are you going to do with Mbappe? What are you going to do with Dembele? What are you going to do with Giroud? Uh, and then you've got the likes of Tuchemini and um, a player that we haven't really seen, Kamazinga. Yeah. And they're going to be here for the next World Cup as well. And Rabiot. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it's frightening, mate. So 
if I'm the Moroccan coaching staff, yep. I've got two jobs. One, figure out a game plan, which yep. is hard enough, and then two, try and convince the team <laughs> that it's good enough to nullify six or seven threats in France. So where are you then? What's your, what's your call tomorrow? What's the prediction? I think Morocco are going to do a wonderful job. They are going to come out and they are going to play this game with confidence, with a freedom. Uh, and I think for large chunks of the match, they are going to match France. And even they'll probably give them a few scares. However, I think the point that we've just made is the one that's going to win the day, which is France has too much. And they have arguably the best player in the world at the moment. Kylian Mbappe. Kylian Mbappe, yeah, yeah. He is uh, a match winner. He is a game turner. He is a difference maker. It is 22 away from 11 here uh, on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball, Jacob Spoonley talking the World Cup semi finals. We'll be back after this with Andy Thompson from the Rural Roundup, uh, Louis Herman Watt for a Love Racing update, and Mark Stafford as well. Before we do all of that, though, uh, we will go and uh, talk to Jamie Wall, who uh, is fresh out of the barber's chair. And, uh, mate, how's that fade looking? Oh, it's looking great, mate. He managed to get rid of all the greys, so that's all I really all I was after. So he's just done the job. Yeah. Nice, nice. Oh, that's all good, mate. Have you, have you got a sh- which barber do you go to? Have you got a regular that you go to every week? Or every month. Yeah, yeah, got, got the um, Takoya barbers up in uh, up in Ponsonby. Um, three lamps there. They, they always do a good job. So um, if you need a haircut and you're in uh, in Auckland City, that's where you want to go. That's where you want to go. All right, good stuff, Jamie. Now we've got the important stuff out of the way. Let's talk uh, world rugby. Uh, Bernard Laporte this morning, or overnight, been found guilty of corruption. Uh, he's been fined seventy five thousand euros by French court, a two year suspended prison sentence. But I understand he's been suspended from having anything to do with rugby for two years as well. Um, surely this is an issue, given he's the vice chairman of World Rugby. Yeah, this is a very big issue, a uh, very big issue, and, it, and it's been a long time coming as well. Um, this, Whatever ha- what the outcome of this court case was, uh, it was definitely one of those uh, where there's smoke, there's fire kind of uh, um, situations. So I think whatever happened in this court case, World Rugby had a situation on their hands that they had to deal with. Um, he's sort of fallen on his sword a little bit. I saw a, a press release from World Rugby just a little bit earlier today just saying that he's um, self-suspended himself for whatever that's worth, which means that I guess they don't really have to um, take any action from now on. They said they're not making any more comment, any comment on the matter. So I, I think, though, that, yeah, like I said, uh, this this was in the works. Um, and that the fact that they kind of probably should have done something about it beforehand uh, does raise a few questions. Um, given the the potential depth of what this scandal might go to, like on the on the surface, it does seem like, OK... He's been fined and he's been given a suspended sentence. So it's not exactly up there with the crime of the century, uh, especially when it comes to sports corruption. But really, when you think about it and you think about where the World Cup is being hosted next year in France, uh, and that he uh, and Mohit El Tredov were sort of key parts of that, and Claude Archer, who is, uh, uh, has been forced out of his role as the CEO of the, of the World Cup um, next year, uh, it does ma- raise some massive questions, um, especially considering all of the talk that we've had for like 10 years now, 12 years almost, uh, about the hosting rights bid for where the Football World Cup was. Well, it turns out that rugby's hands aren't really as clean as they'd, they'd want them to be, perhaps. Um, so I think that there's definitely some questions to be asked around this um, and around the fact that you know it doesn't really matter what sport you're, you're participating in. And it doesn't really matter what 
sort of values you you hold yourself. And rugby really definitely likes to um, hold itself to uh, a specific set of values. Uh, that as soon as money gets involved, um, you're going to have the same problems. Um, and so, yeah, this, this is pretty interesting, um, especially considering also the connections that it has to the All Blacks, uh, because, of course, Mohit Eltrad, who was uh, co-defendant in the, in the case, was also found uh, guilty, given a slightly lesser fine, I think, and also a, a suspended sentence, um, is the naming rights sponsor of the All Blacks. His name is all over the All Blacks and the Black Ferns gear. So... You know, that's how far far it kind of permeates, I guess. Yeah, it permeates a long way. I was going to say, I mean, are there parallels to, you know, the FIFA corruption, Sepp Blatter, Michel Platini, etc.? Well, maybe. Um, it, it definitely, you can't rule it out. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I do know that the way that the World Cup hosting rights were handed out um, uh, last time uh, was pretty dodgy really when you think about it that you had three candidates South Africa Ireland and France um, France obviously had hosted one in, in 2007 and was seen as a distant third behind the other two um, South Africa because it was obviously it's uh, important to get rugby back onto the African continent and Ireland because uh, it'd just be a new place to be able to to hold the hold the tournament um, and then uh, on top of that world rugby had come out and said that that you know that engaged with a uh, an independent um, uh, body to to kind of assess the bids, and they'd come out and said that the preferred bid was South Africa, and so really, for all intents and purposes, it was going to be in South Africa next year. Uh, and then at the last minute, um, they said, actually, no, it's going to be France, and just sort of out of nowhere. And so this corruption scandal that's kind of come on really kind of probably confirms what a lot of people already thought about what went down uh, when that bid process happened. What does it mean, do you think, now for Bernard Laporte? I mean, he's vice-chair of World Rugby. I no doubt he would have been eyeing Bill Beaumont's position come the next election. Uh, is is he effectively null and void now from holding any position going forward, whether it be with French rugby or World Rugby, do you think? Well, I think if World Rugby has, is going to try and retain any credibility out of this, he, he can't possibly have anything to do with them anymore. Uh, he, this is, it's a real stain. Uh, on on a sport that, like I said, uh, holds itself to a lot of self-imposed values uh, that have kind of come down through from the amateur era, and, and and a lot of it is just to do with uh, class-signifying behaviour by a lot of UK and, and French kind of people that like to sort of disassociate themselves with um, with football, and so it's it's really. It, it really kind of pulls the curtain back on what's really happening in these sporting bodies. And like I said, you know, obviously football is kind of synonymous with it in the last decade or so. It turns out that rugby kind of isn't really that far off, really. And the only difference is the, the, the vast difference in the sum of money that's being involved. Now you mentioned Ultrad as well, being on the front of the All Blacks jerseys and the and the uh, Black Ferns jerseys as well. Uh, I don't expect that New Zealand rugby will will front on this because they don't front on things that are closer to home, let alone things you know halfway around the world. Um, but uh, do you see there being any impact there? I mean, are other sponsors or other people, other stakeholders, the Silver Lakes of this world, etc. You know, uh, do you, do you see that that might put this Ultrad sponsorship in in, in danger? I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I, I, you know, without 
you know, it is kind of funny for us to, to, to know that, that this that this ended up happening because, of course, last year when they got their, their uh, sponsorship deals over the line, we all thought that Enios was going to be the one that was going to cause them trouble, you know, with the um, links to fracking and mining and, and the kind of going against uh, the clean green image a, a body like New Zealand Rugby would want to put out. And it turns out it's the, it's the other one that's <laughs> that, that, that's gotten the headlines. Um, but to be fair, like it's not like they walked into this deal knowing that they were dealing with a guy who was going to get end up end up in court. Um, I don't think it's going to mean they're going to change the name on the front of the jersey. I mean, his name was all over the the recent World Cup uh, signage um, during uh, you know the the, the Blackburns won. Um, so it clearly didn't bother World Rugby enough to kind of do something about that. So really, uh, I don't know. I mean, what, what does the average rugby fan really is going to look at that and go, well, hang on, that looks a bit dodgy. But, I mean, when AIG were named the sponsors, sponsors of, uh, the, of the All Black jersey um, about 10 years ago, I mean, they were only a couple of years out of uh, a huge government sort of scandal themselves, having to be bailed out as part of the whole uh, GFC uh, uh, that happened. So, uh, you know, I like I said, I don't think it's going to affect jersey sales, which is what they're mainly concerned about. So, you know, they've, they've, they can pretty much just sort of put their head in the sand on this one, with probably with good reason for a change. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll keep, uh, keep an eye on that and see what developments come out of it, uh, Jamie. We should also uh, talk a couple other news stories that popped up uh, overnight. Uh, one of those is the Killick, Cl- uh, Killick Cup next year uh, at Twickenham Stadium. Coached uh, the Barbarians, coached by Eddie Jones against a World Fifteen, coached by Steve Hansen. It's like it's like uh, we've jumped in a DeLorean, mate. Maybe they should just replay some game from like two thousand and seven or something. <laughs> yeah, and it really does go. When I saw this news, it really struck me just how much the cult of the of the coach has taken over Test rugby. Um, because really, when you talk about a game between a World Fifteen and a Bar- Barbar's Fifteen, um, that is going to hopefully attract you know the best players we should be talking about the players not guys coaching them especially considering that these two uh as far as coaching jobs go i mean well me and you could coach these teams and the the, the game that they're going to play is going to be about the same really um but uh, i mean uh, you know it's, it's kind of cool that they're, they're going to be back on the same you know in, a, in each coaching box and everything but really what a, what effect it's going to have on what is a festival game basically and a glorified piss-up uh is is pretty negligible but uh, I'm sure they'll both have plenty to say uh, before, uh, during, and after the game. It'd be interesting if they if they maybe took a uh, a leaf out of the UFC book. You know how they have both fighters sat either side of the podium uh, at the presser. Uh, maybe they should do that with this and have Hanson and Jones either side of a of a podium. What do you reckon? Oh, absolutely. Barbs I mean, uh, that, that's the cool that's the that's the cool thing about these games that could really be explored is that you could. You, you could try them out to do um, something like that. I'm sure those two wouldn't have any problem um, doing that at all, considering that you know it is, like I said, a glorified friendly. Um, uh, but yeah, like I said, uh, the, the the focus on a game like this should really be on on the players, especially if they are going to try and put together a reasonable world of team, because they haven't really done that in, in years. I mean, I think the last time um, that you know they had a real all star match was. Probably in the wake of the um, when they played that, uh, I think it was a tsunami fundraiser, their Boxing Day tsunami fundraiser, way back in like 2005. So, 
you know, to actually, if they can actually get a decent World 15 together to see how that'll go, that's something that's kind of unique to rugby. You know, it's something that uh, isn't really done in other sports um, too much. So it will be cool to see that happen. It would be, it would be. We'll keep an eye on that as well, mate. And uh, before we let you go, uh, news this morning that Ireland's John Ryan has uh, signed with the Chiefs for the next Super Rugby season. Um, I mean, if you were a, uh, a naysayer of New Zealand rugby, you would say he's taking a young Kiwi spot. Do we have enough front rows being developed? That's what Super Rugby's for. Why have we got an Irishman in there? But I think it's quite nice to have a little bit of flavour, isn't it? Yeah, I have no problem with uh, foreign players coming over into into Super Rugby. Um, if he's if he fits their needs and is going to make the Chiefs a better team, then go for it. Like they they should be all out. Their, their, their sole focus should be winning Super Rugby. And if they they feel as though this guy is going to do a better job than what they've got on offer, then they should be, have unrestricted access to whoever they whoever they really want. Um, in saying that, though, it does sort of say a bit about the depth of New Zealand uh, rugby at the moment, especially in the front row, which is always sort of a little bit of a worry um, that we're kind of relying on um, guys coming in from overseas. Uh, yeah, it is just one guy. Um, and But the fact that they've gone out, probably gone out looking for him, um, is, is a little bit, probably deserves a little bit of scrutiny because, uh, you know, the pathways in New Zealand really should be providing these players for them without them having to go to an international market. Yeah, I mean, he's there to replace Angus Tarvau, who's out for the season, which is, you know, I mean, he's a big leader for, for the Chiefs, so that'll be a bit of a loss uh, for them. But, yeah, it, it, I mean, like like I said, great to see a bit of flavour, something different, uh, a different voice. Maybe he can impart some knowledge on some young props coming through, but it would be nice to, you know, see somebody else come through the system as well at the same time. I, I mean, I guess I can... Part of the story is that they're, they're trying to replace a very experienced guy. And you want to, and you can't really just do that with a young prop, you know, to chuck him in and expect to do the job that Angus Tarvel is uh, doing for you. Uh, so I can see the logic uh, behind what um, what they were going for here. Why they couldn't sort of find a New Zealander to do that though, like, yeah, that's that's the issue. Um, but I mean, like, this is not a knock at the Chiefs uh, whatsoever. Like, they've they've done what they need to do in order to try and. Um, bolster their, their chances of winning a, a Super Rugby title. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I hope John Ryan um, does well. I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Yeah, yeah, same. Looking forward to seeing uh, what he brings to the Chiefs. Hey, Jamie, thanks very much for jumping in uh, and having a chat to us, mate. Uh, we'll let you go and check out uh, that do in the mirror. Make sure it's up to standard <laughs> and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? I've been staring in the mirror the whole time, mate. I've never met a mirror I didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is outstanding. Jamie Wall there with us uh, here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. 18 past 11. We'll be back after this. Um, $1.70, though, that's right under its price. I think around the 2 bucks is fair enough, but should be winning. And the other race I want to watch is the Maiden Fillies and Mares race because Pizzazz with Opion, uh, Lambrusquet, Craig Grills for Chris Gibbs back here in New Zealand after racing in Australia, and Marvellous are all three mares that I'll be keen to follow over the next new, next wee while. Marvellous, actually, and our man's all filly for Cambridge start in those nice colours there. So race nine is the race I want to watch. Race six is where I reckon Master Brutus will be winning at $1.70. And race one, I think right on price, is Candanos. Mate, you learn something new every day. I was I was 
today years old, whatever that is, 50 and a bit, uh, when I found out that Opie Bossom's real name was Owen Patrick and not Opie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Owen Patrick, that's the one. There you go. I, I, I just, I mean, I always <laughs> thought Opie was a weird name, but I just went, oh, that's his name. But it's literally well, OP. There's only one Owen Patrick rather than Opie Bossin. I just feel like Owen Patrick Bossin doesn't quite fit, and you want to get the Bossin in there because that's, you know, he's the icon. So yeah, just, he's that's, the boss. Work. Yeah, that's right. He's the this is the boss. All right, okay, Louis. I, I like it. I like it, mate. It's good. Good when you learn something new every day. Is that the uh, is that the best nickname in racing? Do you think? I don't think it's a nickname because I'm pretty sure it's Opie's is how he's known. I think it's, if you ask uh, Opie what his name was, it's Opie. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I get that. I mean, I was, you know, you, there's, there's a few, there's a few people around that, uh, from, particularly in New Zealand sport, that have got nicknames like, I mean, for example, Buck Shelford. I mean, that's not Buck is in his first name, is it? That's just kind of his nickname, but everybody knows him as Buck. But it's a nickname. Well, Eldrick. Eldrick. Who's Eldrick? Tiger Woods. Oh, oh, yes, yes, true. So, yeah, so, I mean, see, Tiger's a nickname, but that's what everybody knows him as. No one knows he's called Eldrick, right? Well, they do now. Right, Rick. Rick, I've got one yeah. for you to leave. Nothing to do with racing, okay. and I can hear a jackpot in the background at the cast, which is very good fortune for them. It's a tough day yeah, that's, to be that's, a that's Logan. He's, he's clocked off, mate. Logan's on the pokies. Oh, yeah. Oh, Twinkles. I would, um, here's the thing. It's a tough day to be a Ronaldo defender. Because because he's gone and everybody loves Messi again and Ronaldo's just going to float into obsolescence unless he goes and does a, another interview with Piers Morgan. But it's a tough day to be a Ronaldo defender, so I'm feeling for all his fans out there. Yeah, well, you're not wrong. I did see somebody had done a, uh, a great Photoshop job of him walking down the tunnel after the loss to Morocco, and they'd Photoshopped like a, a kid's school bag on his back with, you know, the folders and the lunchbox hanging out of the top, and a speech bubble said, I'm going to tell Morgan, uh, Piers it's not fair. Um, and I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, it's a bit of a sad existence, isn't it, at this stage? Anyway, mate, I'm going to crack on. Yeah, you crack on, mate. Thanks very much, Louis Herman Watt there with us. The Love Racing Update, loveracing.nz for all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, replays, profiles, and more. And, uh, Logan, we are back here tomorrow at Flair Bar for the Morocco-France semi-final as well. And uh, looking forward to that. Breakfast will be on air here from 6 till 8. Then we've got the game, and then uh, we'll be on air from whenever the game finishes. Yeah, do you reckon, because uh, we're running a poll, uh, who, who do you want to see Argentina face in the World Cup final, France or Morocco? It's some people are now voting more towards France. It's a lot closer. Fifty nine percent are saying uh, the Moroccans they want to see that fairy tale run continue. But what what about that one though? Do you see that one going to penalties more likely than what we saw this morning? I, I, to be honest, I thought today would go to extra time, potentially penalties. So mm. yeah, this didn't go. I thought this more likely than the other one. I thought if there's going to be a game that blows out and goes one way, it'll be the France game. But that's what happened today. So, yeah, I, I think France, like, you know, Jacob was said, well, Jacob Spoonley was in with us before, thinks they just have too many weapons. Um, so I think they should probably have too much. But, you know, I thought that about Portugal too. So who, who really knows, mate? That's the beauty of World Cup football. 
Well, as it still stands, uh, Canada are the only team to score a goal against Morocco. I imagine Mbappe probably wants to change that. I would, I would say so, mate. I would say so. Now, um, uh, Flair Bar tomorrow. We got, have we got any details on uh, what they've got running here at Flair Bar over the next few days with the World Cup also coming up uh, the final on uh, Monday morning? Yeah, so of course we're here uh, tomorrow, but they are taking bookings for the final on, on Monday. Uh, reserve, you can reserve settings now for, for Flair Bar, but it is filling up fast. Register now and go into the draw to win a VIP upgrade with food and beverage vouchers for the day. Just go to skycityauckland.co.nz slash what's on to get involved. All right, do that, and hopefully we'll see you here, if, if not tomorrow, with Chris Milicic sitting in with us uh, to talk football post-game. We'll see you Monday morning uh, for the World Cup final here at Flair Bar in Sky City. Just about time for Stumped. If you want a chance at winning a $150 TAB bonus bet, give us a call now, 0800-150-811, We'll be back after the latest news in sport. Commentary of the FIFA World Cup, Croatia versus Argentina from 8 this morning on SNZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it's time to play Stumped here on SNZ Mornings with Ian Smith and Ricardo Ball in the hot seat. Man, I've never done Stumped on location before. This is going to be a bit of fun. Of course, we uh, have Brian Rarity back behind the desk as well in Auckland. Uh, so he's hitting the buttons for us. Brian, it is. we don't expect you to talk here, mate. I know your voice is still coming back, but we are so glad to have you back on the show and just having, having you back around in our lives, that's for sure. All right, we are playing for $150 TAB bonus bet after Ricardo has gotten a couple of stumpings on the board. It's been a, been a couple of big ones. I know I gave you a pep talk, mate, but I, I don't really think uh, you need one after that Argentina win. Well, no, I don't think so. I think so. I think bring it on. Bring it on. Let's get it to 200 tomorrow. That's what I reckon. <laughs> All right. Well, our first contestant today, we're going to Gore. Reid, come to the crease, mate. G'day, guys. G'day, guys. Uh, yeah, Ricardo's definitely on good form at the moment. Mate, I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, trying to keep it interesting. <laughs> What are you what, what are your strengths, Reed, in terms of sport? Oh, I love a bit of rugby, rugby league. Uh, I don't know if that'll be coming up today though, but we'll give it give anything a crack. Alright, well for those listening at home, we'll give you a quick rundown on how the game works. We have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, then it's over to Ricardo for a chance to knock your bales off if he gets it right. Get out within the first two questions, and it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question, and we will jackpot tomorrow. Now, read your topics today to choose from are the A-League, cricket, and last week's New Zealand Rugby Awards. Oh, I will go with cricket. All right, good luck. First question for you, Reid. Which BBL team is Trent Bolt playing for in his debut season? Oh, um... What was the coach? The DBL, BBLA. Big Bash. Um, Big Bash. I will go take a bit of a stab in the dark and say... Oh, 
me five seconds. Come on, Reid. You've got to Google faster than yeah, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, no. I'll, yeah. I'll just go. I don't even know any of the teams over there. Maybe the Blaine. Well, I don't know. Blaine. I think we might have to let this one go to the keeper, Brian. One of the worst yeah. things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo. He's at the Melbourne Stars. Made his debut last night. Got two wickets. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right well in the slot. Well and away it goes. Thanks, Rito. Unlucky, son. Yeah, back to the pavilion for you, mate. Uh, yes, Trent Bolt. Man, he looked good uh, last night. Bowled two for 21 against the Sydney Thunder. And those wickets did come back to back. Unlucky, though, because the Thunder did win by a wicket. <laughs> the winning runs came on the last ball, and it was buys as well. So how do you feel about that? All right, next at the crease, we have Zaid from Auckland. Come on, buddy. Good afternoon. Uh, hello? Hey, mate. Yeah, it's, it's still morning just now. How you doing, mate? Yeah, all good. Um, I just want to tell you guys about a bet that I won this morning. Um, Go for you it. You know how they were giving away the three bonus bets for the World Cup semi-final, I had um, a boosted odds paying $10. Argentina to lead at halftime, Messi to score the first goal, and Argentina to win to nil. Nice. What did that pay? Uh, $10. Boom. Nicely done, so mate. That's a great bit. Yeah. Yeah. So all over it. Love it. All right. Well, yeah. Zaid... Beers on Zaid. That's what I'm saying. Beers on Zaid. Zaid, I know you love your cricket, mate, so we'll get cracking into the second question. Uh, With her innings of 93 not out in the first ODI against Bangladesh, Susie Bates became the top White Ferns run scorer for matches in New Zealand. Who did she overtake on that list? Oh, wait. Did she overtake a Kiwi or is it just anyone? Top White Ferns run scorer. Uh, I don't know. So, yes, it will be a Kiwi. Debbie Hockley. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I don't know the answer to this, so I'm going to have to take a a stab, but I'm going to maybe go with her teammate, Sophie Devine. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. I did think... Someone was going to guess Sophie Devine. Uh, the answer I was looking for was Amy Sathathwaite. Ah, right, yeah. Oh, like you recently yeah. retired. Yeah, so she was on 2,318. And Susie, obviously still in team, 2,387. So, Zayd, it does mean you're still alive, mate. $150 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Last question. See if you've been paying attention. Who is the new captain of the Australian women's cricket team? Oh... Is it Alisa Haley? That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Yes. Right in the slot. Yeah, is that 150, boys? That's 150 for you, Zaid, my friend. That's right. Alisa Haley, man, I mean, you hear her no matter what. She is, in terms of wicket keepers, she's probably the chattiest of the bunch, but she is a legend. Congrats to you, mate. Mitchell Stark's partner, isn't it? Mitchell Stark's partner. Girlfriend. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I believe so. Yeah, okay. yeah. I don't really pay attention yeah. to that stuff, but nice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, well, all right, Zayt, so you got a 150 TAB bonus bet. Uh, where are you, where are you going to invest that, do you reckon? Probably maybe in Buffet to score or France to win. Yeah, there is. I mentioned uh, during the cross with Pip earlier, they've done a boosted odds to $5 if Mbappe yeah. first goal scorer France win. I quite like that. 
Yeah, it's a bit. It's just if he scores the first goal, though, I guess it's similar to the Messi one kind of this morning, eh? But yeah, yeah, that is true. I mean, I think he'll be better this game than he was against England. The English managed to shut him out and keep him wide on the wing. So he didn't have as much yeah. chance. So maybe Giroud as a first goal scorer bet is safer. But uh, yeah, it's one worth looking at anyway, mate. It's if you can that do it any time. That big game was pretty bizarre maybe. last night, though. Eh? I watched that. It was pretty weird. Which game? The, the big bash game last night was pretty weird. Yeah. Oh, right, you're talking oh big bash. my okay. gosh, was it ever? See, to nearly defend 123. And see, like, Marcus Stoinis there on that the last boundary. Quarter. I don't know why he took off his. He took off the wicket keeping glove and then let, 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 and then. Because he wanted to throw down the stumps, but if he saw the glove on, it would have it would have gone to would have gone to a super over, I reckon. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it's a hard way to see an, uh, a match finished by buys like that, and I feel for Marcus Stoinis having to play out there with COVID, and he's sitting there on the boundary waiting to go out. He's isolated from his team. He's got a blanket over his shoulders, looking like a nana ready ready uh, to have a nap. I really struggle with this. I mean, I know the the BBL of basically Australian cricket come out and said, oh, you know, uh, it's up to the individual players and the teams to do what they like on this, but surely there's a health and safety issue here. I mean. Is he going to be able to field? Uh, if they're going to throw the ball around? I mean, there's a chance that he, you know, next time out, you know, his team, oh, no, we've got 11 blokes down with COVID and they have to, you know, they have to put their women's team out or, you know, their Rizzies out or something because they don't have any fit players. Well, like you said, next match, uh, 11 down. Uh, I believe they have a second match in this round. As long as Trent Bolt doesn't get COVID, yeah, that, that's <laughs> that's what matters for me. Uh, but, Zay, thank you for playing, mate. Enjoy that 150. Pardon? Well done, Zay. Congrats, mate. Uh, have, a, have, a, have a good one, and uh, maybe we might even see you at Flair Bar tomorrow for the second semi-final. We are live here at Flair Bar. It's Sky City. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. When we come back, we're going to catch up with Andy Thompson from the Rural Roundup. Local John Deere equipment supplier, and coming up after midday for most of the country is Andy Thompson with the Rural Roundup. And Andy uh, Brandt, uh, our local John Deere equipment supplier, nothing, ru- nothing runs like a deer, apparently. They, they, I don't know if they still use that slogan. They still do use that slogan. Gallo Ricardo. Yes, they do. Nothing runs, runs like a deer. Um, we caught up with a uh, on the rural roundup on Sunday morning. We had the story about the uh, the Suffolk man who was arrested for having relations with four hundred. This is in the UK. Four hundred and fifty tractors. He was caught with his <laughs> trousers around his knees, and his favourite, actually, this is true. I'm not kidding you. His favourite was John Deere's and Massey Ferguson's. He was also found with five thousand images of tractors on his laptop. Now, I didn't know that was illegal, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! Yeah! Wow! Uh, I've, I've, there, yeah, there are some kinks, and there are some kinks. Uh, I tell you, I've never, yeah. never heard that one before, though. I, I can't explain it. I can't explain. It. I know some people who are in love with their tractors, but. Not to, but you know, like he cheated on them all. So I, I just yeah, don't know, mate. I, d- I don't know. But yeah, it's. I think it's he, disturbing. I think he might need some professional help. I think he's getting some serious <laughs> help. So yeah, nothing runs now, like a jib. But but he was he no, was favoured like the green ones. He did like the green ones. Yeah. Well, oh, no, fair, fair play to him. They're good-looking tractors. Uh, now, uh, are, you, are you crossing to Suffolk to catch up with him to to no. to, uh, to get his uh, his latest no. uh, his latest tractor fixation? No, no, definitely not. No. Definitely not. Okay, the what's article, coming up on the, the Rural Roundup? Not that.
can tell you. <laughs> uh, tomorrow, this is something really cool. And actually, I really want um, the SENZ listeners to get in behind this and actually some of the hosts, by the way. You've all got to uh, support us on this. New Zealand's first rural telethon. So the Meet the Need charity has got a rural telethon tomorrow, starting from 6 a.m., going for 13 hours, I think it is. Uh, and what they want to do is provide a million meals from rural New Zealand. So meat and milk, which can be used to fill the food banks of New Zealand for the next 12 months. So this is a fantastic, fantastic cause. So we're going to talk to Suborn O'Malley, who's one of the founders and board members of the Meet the Need charity. So uh, listen to that. And then it's three bucks. I think there's a phone call. Is it? Oh, we'll find that number, whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, and if you're a farmer, you can donate an animal. You can donate some milk. You can donate a virtual animal if you don't own any like me. I'd like to donate one of the horses I've got, but that's a whole other story. So great, great charity here. That's right. I think I think they do that in Belgium, don't they? They eat horse in Belgium. Yeah, they do. They do. But I haven't it's seen them making horses available. Yeah, yeah. And no, France, actually. Speaking of France, oh okay. You got yeah. the blue shirt on. No, oh, it's actually a Manchester United jersey. Uh, oh, yeah, but, but like, I, yeah. I think yeah. I think France will have too much tomorrow, Andy. To be fair, I mean Morocco. It's been a it's been a fairy story, but I, I think it'll it'll come to an end tomorrow. Well, we've talking to the doyen. Yeah, we talked to the doyen of sport in New Zealand over the last 50 years, Brendan Telfer, on the show, and I asked him for his pick. So, uh, Ooh, let's okay. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so, let's see I what know Telfer Brendan's reckons. son, Jay, and he is football mad. Is he Jay is. Jay Telfer? So, uh, I know that I know that Brendan's well 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 versed in the uh, in the round ball code. That's for sure. Very much so. What else so, you got yeah, coming up, mate? Well, there's young lady Harriet Watson who over, this is another fantastic story, over the last eight days she's ran 460, sorry, 650 kilometres um, along the West Coast tracks uh, raising money for um, endo... Endometriitis. Oh God, I can't even get that right. Endometriitis. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. So she's done the 650 kilometres. She's run run over some of the toughest tracks on the west coast, raising money. Now I can't get at it because she's having a well earned break. But I've got her dad Tony, who ran them all with her, bar one. So uh, we've got that on the show. Wow. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that, that is something that affects women up and down the country, and not just here, but around the world. In fact, one in uh, ten. I don't know that. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if you know them, but there, there's a big uh, rock band out of Hamilton called Devilskin, and their front woman, Jenny, uh, has suffered from this, and they actually wrote a song about it. It was one of their biggest hits. They've got a song called Endo, which is about her struggle with it. So, oh, well, maybe, we need to, maybe we need to find that and see if uh, producer Neeps can dig that up, and maybe we play it. Yeah, it could be, could be the lead-in. could be the lead-in to the interview. Uh, and also, um, who else we got? Uh, let me, oh, Bryce McKenzie. Groundswell are heading off to Wellington tomorrow to see the Prime Minister. So I thought we'd uh, chat to Bryce and find out whether he's going to wear his good gumboots uh, and whether he's got a present for the Prime Minister. So, yeah, we'll find out, eh? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, it'll be, uh, be interesting. Hopefully, hopefully the Prime Minister gets on better with him than she does the leader of the ACT Party, eh, Andy? Yes, yes, Dickie. I actually asked him about that when I was talking to him this morning. Uh, I asked him whether he was a pro- Hey, um, are you still alive in the... Uh, <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? Are you still alive in the sweepstake or what? I I'm, I had Saudi Arabia. No, I went out Waco. today, mate. I had ah. I, I had Croatia, so ah, right. I yeah I I I've, I it's it's still quite raw for me, Andy. I, I just ducked yeah, out today. Yeah. Okay. So who do we know who's still alive in the SENZ pool? Well, I know that the boss Ruben has got France, although Kempi <sighs> rubbed. Ruben's name off the board and pop Kempi under France, but I don't think that's going to stand up in a court of law. Uh, Morocco, I'm not entirely sure, and I think maybe Paula has got Argentina. So, um, yeah, I think well, there's a couple it, still alive, but yeah, how I does think it, they might have to 
be a judicial review of how the boss got France. That's my exact point. Exact point. I, I go, I'm mm. with Kempi on that. I'll just rub it off. And actually, the thing is, if he wins, right, he just can't mm. keep it. It's got to go on the bar. Yep, hundred percent. Hundred percent's got to go on the bar. Good yep. luck collecting it too, just quietly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, Andy, exactly. thanks very much, mate, for coming on. Um, have a have a great show from midday. Uh, rural roundup. Look forward to it. Watch out for those John Deere tractors, mate. I will do, mate. Will do. They they look good in a bikini, apparently. Uh, that has been the rural roundup catch up with Andy Thompson. When we come back, Mark Stafford joins us.